This is the Straight Dope Podcast, and part of this podcast includes some partners. One of those partners is Mile High Shooting. They are a one-stop shop for optics mounts, suppressors, components, firearms, magazines, nylon gear, and more. They support law enforcement and military programs and anything that you're going to need for Precision Rifle Journey. They are a dealer, the dealer for Accuracy International, Spur, and have a lot of ammo and reloading components. So go to their website, milehighshooting.com, and support a company that supports shooters like crazy. Um, I have seen them put hundreds to thousands of dollars on most of the matches that I've been to myself. They give back as much or more than all of the top sponsors for matches, which is very hard to do. And they often have sales and discounts in addition on their website when you go there to visit. It's a great place for factory ammunition and uh, other stuff. So check it out, milehighshooting.com. Thank you. We'll see if we can jump into it, and if not, we can re- recalibrate it. But but I think I, it, it's interesting because it like it's like Pandora's box. You, you're gonna like it. Okay. Recently, somebody reached out and they asked me about some data, and the data that they provided me with was shots at targets when they missed into the wind and when they missed out of the wind, and they phrased it as hitting and or because it was all missing they phrased it as percentage of pro side and percentage of amateur side misses and uh in the wind and they were curious what it meant if they missed more on the pro side and whether that was a good thing and i thought that that was a really interesting question because the way those terms are the way the terms are phrased and what it actually implies and if there's any data to support that missing into the wind is actually a pro level quality versus just a silly thing of describing that you held too much wind or less wind so uh what do you think about that as a topic Ooh, i think that's great and yes it's it's pandora's box and this is i think it's a great topic one because there's there's so much mystery around wind and misses with wind and misses on targets. Um, yeah, that would, that would be a fun thing to, to kind of delve into. And I don't know necessarily that it's, that it's something that you can actually provide a, you know, a, a quantifiable answer for, but it's a, I think it's a rad topic um, just because there is, like I said, just a minute, second ago, there's so much mystery around it that it would be cool just to unpack it for the reason of just expanding um, people's ability to understand misses and yeah yeah let's i'm i'm totally game for that all right so so just to start off the bat a i understand like we both understand what those sayings mean and i'm going to make it very clear that I've never seen any data to suggest that there's um, credible reason to call it pro side or amateur side, but I can understand 
what the um, and and you might you might disagree. People might dis- disagree anecdotally, but I've never really seen anything to support the fact that uh, amateurs don't hold enough wind and and pro level shooters often hold too much wind. But I, I like the idea of labeling things like that. You know, I think it's kind of fun because it opens a conversation, not because it actually uh, means you're more pro like if you miss into the wind. And so I, I think like you know just just to hit the just to like as, as, as quickly as possible for people that have never heard that, can you describe um, what missing on the pro side refers to? Well, missing on, on the, the pro side would be they have, they, first off, they understand wind, right, for the most part, or we're going to make the assumption that pro shooters understand what the wind is doing. Um, so, you know, they may see Mirage that's telling them that they've got a full value eight mile an hour. And so they shoot it for a full value eight mile an hour. And what do you know it? They held four miles an hour too much wind because the Mirage that they saw and the indicators that they saw gave them that number. And so they held for that value and then they missed for half the amount of wind, right? So they put too much in. So that means that one, number one, they're reading the indicator correct, right? So whether it's Mirage or, or Spore or anything like that, they're reading it correct. But what it means is that at, actually at the target or the, the most, uh, or the wind that's having the most effect on that bullet, they're, they're not seeing that. So what they're seeing is correct and they're holding for that. But what actually happens in real life when the round is sent downrange that does not happen for things that they cannot see or they cannot predict. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I I love the way you put it because you added things that I wouldn't have said ahead. I defined it like that. So I'm going to do what my, um, you know, ex would say I'm very best at, which is say the same thing in a different way. And um, I'm going to regurgitate what I extracted from your saying that I thought was really cool by starting with contrasting an amateur and a pro, just not, not, this this isn't a complete thing, but it's basically saying that you acknowledge that someone who misses consistently on the pro side, they understand that wind is an effect and they also understand the direction from which wind is coming from. And I think that's really poignant and it might sound very, very simple, but actually a lot of shooters that don't shoot long distance they hold at the target and they aim at the target and they stay on the target and they expect the bullet to go from the gun to the thing that they're pointing at. And as you learn to shoot long distance, that's not, uh, obviously that's a, a major component of why people can myth. And as you get better at other things, that stays a big component of why people miss. So acknowledging the fact that if you didn't know wind had an effect on a bullet, you would, the wind would always blow it downrange of the wind right and 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 so you're basically if somebody's always missing upwind or into the wind right you know right away that they understand that the wind is coming from that direction and they're trying to account for it they just don't understand at a deeper level how to adjust and so they could miss by holding too much right so like you said if there's an eight mile an hour wind coming in and they hold 
full value eight miles an hour, but the effects on it, the mirage, the angle are such, let's say that it's coming in from a 45 degree, which would be six miles an hour. And they miss right off the plate, you know, on a small plate, two tenths, because they would probably be two tenths of difference there. Um, you know, you, you're basically acknowledging, wow, they, they understand the wind direction. They understand that there's a, an effect that has to be counteracted based on their understanding of their external ballistics, right? But they don't quite have it yet, right? So, so that, that's, re- that's actually really cool that you phrased it that way because um, I like that it acknowledges that this shooter understands that you have to account for wind. They just don't quite understand how to account for wind other than, you know, I'm going to hold into it. Right. Sure. So I think, I think that's freaking awesome. Right. So the Pandora's box here is like, well, how do you know? So, so, but, but I don't want to let go of the amateur and the pro side. Right. So if you're, if you're always missing on the amateur side, that doesn't mean that you don't understand how to account for wind. It's just that you're not bold enough. And I think that, you know, when I, when I first heard of it, it was basically a bold factor. Like, Oh, well, people are afraid to leave the plate because they've always had to hold on plate or they haven't seen conditions where you have to leave the plate. And so the amateurs tend to either hit or miss downwind because they're afraid to hold the amount and a, and a pro level shooter I've heard defended as, they're more willing to make bolder, bolder corrections. The problem with that is you don't know anything about the shooter. So you you really can't say that credibly. Like, Oh, they, you know, they're not bold enough. They're not bold enough. It's like, well, I don't know. But if you always miss upwind, uh, what we can probably say is that you understand which direction the wind's coming from, whether or not it's too bold is, is one of those things that you have to figure out one on one on one but it's a cool thing to know and sometimes just letting somebody shoot and be like all right cool they missed know which side it's from and see if they haven't shoot at a different target and see if there's any difference in what side they miss on because if you let people show you what they know sometimes you can figure things out faster than if you just tell them what to do right yep um so, so, so now as, as people start to learn that effect, like what have you seen or how, how, how have you seen people bridge that gap between, um, you know, missing pro side or amateur side or when, you know, and, 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 and how, how, how can we kind of hash this out? Because, because it's really fascinating. And then we, then it's going to ultimately just end up being an external ballistics conversation. But I like this like pro and amateur and why like thinking about it like that. It, yeah. I would it's interesting, but I, I would say first, first off, you know, would to address the Pandora's box issue. Okay. So we're generally everything on this podcast is about field shooting. And so mm-hmm. we're, we're not talking about, we're on an F class range with a big paper target and we've got, you know, a coat of spotter on there that we can actually see where those bullets are going from a spotter behind you being able to give you an actual uh, statistically correct number, right? Actual data that you actually see a mark on the paper when we're shooting in the field, um, man, it, it all depends on where you're at. If you're the spotter and you're seeing where they're, you're seeing misses, where are you at in location to the shooter? Where are you at in location from the shooter to the target? Where's the angle at? Because, you know, if I'm over the shooter's left-hand shoulder, and I see a miss and it ends up going back in what I assume to be the right side of the plate. First off, I have to have 
the eyes and the experience to be able to judge the distance immediately in literally a millisecond to be able to see a strike in the dirt and know if that's actually way back behind the target and the bullet actually just drifted over and was pushed by the wind. So, you know, to address the Pandora's box there, we're not be able to actually get true hard data off of field shooting unless we have a target that is literally on a hey i wanted to talk to you guys about a partner and that partner is cobalt kinetics if you go to cobalt kinetics and look they have got precision and competition carbines and i want you to look through their offerings they are the carbine that i've been competing with for the last couple of years and Every competition that I've gone to with their 223 that I compete with, I've left with a trophy. Every single one, which I think is pretty impressive. So, an affordable, well-built, well-designed gas gun. And I can tell you that it has worked for me. And it doesn't break the bank. I'm going to have more to say about them as they have products rolling out. But I wanted to start off with that so that you understand that I have intimate experience with their systems and their systems perform at a level that can win trophies. So check them out, Cobalt Kinetics. And we have the perfect day. Now, to, to talk about, yeah, shots fired, um, which used to be a, a home range for me, but uh, <laughs> that's another story. Um, but to address the amateur side, you know, bridging the gap, first off, the, the number one thing to start to understand, uh, to, to move from, I don't know what the wind's doing and I'm just going to go left or right of the plate, you know, depending upon what I hear all the other shooters saying, is to actually spend some time with those pro shooters and ask questions. So you've, you've got to be able to understand how to begin to weed, read wind, okay? So there's, there's multiple different ways to read wind, but you've got to be able to, number one, where, where is the wind coming from? You've got, to, you've got to figure out how to find out where the wind is coming from. Once you find out where the wind is coming from, then you can assign a value to that wind. After you assign a value to that wind, okay, you, you've got a little bit more information. We're not even talking about judging mile per hour yet. Okay. We're not even, we're not even there. Let's start by understanding the direction. And once we understand the direction, then we've got a little more information and we can make a little bit more educated of a decision as to where to hold versus shit. I don't know where it's coming from. Well, bam, it missed off to the right. Okay. I guess I'll hold left bam. And then it goes off to the right again. We have no information. So one, where is the wind coming from? Talk to these guys, find out how to find out where the wind is coming from. And then number two, we need to start to be able to understand mile an hour and how do we judge mile an hour another way of here's a freebie for everybody on mile an hour if you aim directly at the target this is what we do in the guardian stuff as well if, if you aim center of the target you're, you're married up on the gun well you take a shot you spot your miss take a quick measurement of your miss in your reticle 
Okay. Keep that number in mind. When you get off the stage, take that number and plug it into your Kestrel or look at your dope chart. You already know the value, but you don't know the speed. You see the miss, plug that into your Kestrel. Boom. Now you have a mile an hour. So then you've just been looking at the spore that's moving, the grass that's blowing, the mirage, and you can say, oh shit, that was a six mile an hour wind. So now you've got a little bit more information and you're starting to prime the brain to think more analytically about mile per hour. So there's, there's some easier ways to get there aside from coaching, but that's a really simple way. So I would say those two things are a really good, quick way to start to bridge the gap from your you know, beginner, intermediate, amateur shooter to your more pro side. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. One, I like that you say you got to you got to actually talk to the people that are doing it better and ask them, hey, what? And some people I have I remember coming up in the competitions and asking people and some people just kind of stare at you like there's no fucking way I'm going to tell you anything or I just held eight miles an hour. I, you know, there, there's very um, people are reticent to talk about it, but there's always some people that will be happy to share how they determined it. And I think that's good because you want to hear it from as many people as possible, not just one source. Like, you know, I would hate for somebody just to listen to us and say, Josh and Chris said this, that's the gospel, right? Because nothing is ever the gospel. Yeah, that's a terrible idea. Yeah, you have to hear about it. You have to test it and you have to validate it for yourself. And while we tell people things that I think we want them to test, validate, and make sure that that holds true for them and tell us if it doesn't, um, the more people that you can ask, test and validate, uh, the better your experience and growth is going to be, which is freaking awesome. I like that center target and then deconstruct it. Um, I like, you know, I, I do it totally different, but I like that that is a good way, um, to get people to start to think about because right. If you have a Kestrel and if you have, a target you yeah you yeah, literally you could. could essentially like blow a stage and just take a shot and figure out what the wind is and the angle and if and if other stages had similar aspects and similar wind conditions at least you would know plus or minus a zone that it would be closer to it would be cool in a learning environment to have people do that and collect that data and say okay everybody shoot all right what was the win and then shoot and then what was the win you know and just write it down write it down and then calculate out just from shots what the wind speed was and then right and then and then you know because I, I i think in wind speed and angle right and then the the clock and and, and the wind rose kind of thing so you know, I'm thinking like, wow, that would be really cool to do that. Because if you say, okay, well, well, you know, we're measuring, and I, I get that the this wind speed is different, you know, between you and the, the boat, but let, let's just say that like, you know, you're pretty much getting like a consistent 12 mile an hour at the shooter, but you do that hold center shoot and, you know, you're calculating it out to eight miles an hour, but you know, you're, you're constant and, and you're thinking like, well, the, the wind at, my location is pretty constant. It's probably like that, the whole light of the bullet path. Then you'd actually be able to say, okay, well, let's, let's just assume that it's 12 mile an hour wind, but it's at this particular angle. 
that reduces it to eight miles an hour. And so we're seeing that. And if that's true, now we know the direction that the wind's actually moving. So a target at a different angle would likely have this wind speed effect based on the angle and then validate that by the angle change, right? So you could probably find a target that, you know, 12 mile an hour wind had an eight mile an hour effect. And then you might be able to find another target that had a four mile an hour effect. And you could validate that the angle and speed was correct by doing those kind of changing the aspects of your shot. That would be pretty fun study, right? With a worksheet just to say like, okay, well, you know, I'm seeing this effect, but what's the maximum versus the actual and map that out. That would, that would be pretty cool. And I, yeah, that's, I, 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 I like that way of doing things for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, this, and, and I'll, I'll quote Frank here, believe the bullet, right? Believe the bullet. Um, and so, you know, we, we can sit down and as, as a new shooter, so you know, I'm speaking mainly to people that are on your own, that are testing this, that are trying to figure it out, that maybe don't have people around um, and you're wanting to, to find a really good concrete place to start. Um, number one, it's super simple. And when you take the shot and you spot the miss and you write that value down, you know, you confirm it over, you know, over a few shots. Well, now that you actually have a true number, so you're one, you're not starting on speculation. Okay. You're not saying, Oh, well, shit, I think that's a, a, a six mile an hour wind based off my Mirage chart right here. And I think that it's coming from, uh, X, X value. Um, then I'm going to hold for that. You know, at that point you're, you're, you're kind of pissing in the wind. You might get lucky, but you're, you're starting, you're building your house, your foundation, your foundation is built on an assumption. Now, I'm sure there's people that get lucky. I got really lucky because unfortunately, when I started, that's, that's how I started. I literally built my house on sand, which was that foundation of a sun that out. But, you know, as far as like hard data, if you can spot your miss, then you're starting with something that's actually concrete. And if you keep a, if you keep a log book, you keep a dope chart, you know, log that shit, man, log, log what's happening. So take the shot find out the correction, it'll tell you the wind, and then get on glass and pay attention to what's doing, what the wind is doing and where it's coming from. And then, you know, you, you really can start to understand from there. And so that's why I think it's effective. Um, you know, there's, like I said, there's many ways to skin a cat, but for me, that's very simple. That's very easy. Um, and if you if you're doing it in a match, you burn a stage on a, on two days, dude, it's better to burn a stage and then actually be able to have a bracket for wind and what's going on than to just be struggling the entire weekend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you combine that with the ability to correct what you see, then you can correct and salvage points on that first stage that you're kind of blowing. And then after that stage, you can actually turn it into a wind plan. So you know, Absolutely. so you can kind of double in two skills that, and, and maybe the correction one's another podcast, but if you, if you learn to correct quickly, you can correct quickly and get through a stage, even with multiple targets at different distances. Like I have a trick for that, that, um, was you, you've heard my, my tricks for just carrying holds from oh, distances yeah. to distances, regardless of, of, uh, 
of, of wind, but that still doesn't give you an actual wind data until you stop after the fact. Yeah, that's and a then quick turn bracket. it into a wind plan. So, so you just, um, but if you can do those two skills, you know, there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to raise your hit percentage very quickly, assuming that you have the skill to maintain, you know, you know, your shots on a plate of the size that you're shooting at, you know, and that, that's the other thing that, you know, the amateur side, typically people that don't compete and shoot as much, they're, they're not quite as capable of keeping shots in a consistent size. That's, that's commensurate with the target size that they're shooting at. Whereas when you start to get better and better shooters, their shot groups, or can you know when they when they aim at something, their bullet's going to go relatively close to where they're aiming. Correct. And yeah. somebody that, with less experience, they don't quite understand that that just because they're aiming at a place, that doesn't mean that that's where the bullet's going to go. And I think some people it takes a little bit to get there. And I mean that's the whole craft thing. But you know, if somebody has a craft number of four, you know, it, it doesn't matter what their wind hold is, right? Um, yeah. If somebody you know is shooting around an inch you know, I'm going to expect them, you know, when, when I see a bullet go somewhere, I understand that, 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 you know, that was a wind call thing, not a, you know, for, for, for the most part. Um, so, so as that scales, but, but in terms of the pro and amateur side, I think that that was a pretty good intro, at least intro to the conversation before it really just takes a, a wild turn of its own. So let's, let's, um, I'm going to stop recording here. Hang on one second. I'm going to one of my big projects and goals is to experiment, play with, and compete in the air gun phenomena that seems to be coming out, but has been around for a long time. Utah Air Guns is at the center of that. They bring in high-end specialty air gun components. They bring in rifle components, and they custom build people high-performance air rifles. Air guns... Uh, often are divisions or used in like rimfire type competitions, but they also have standalone competitions. I believe that when it comes to training certain elements of all rifle shooting that have to do with fundamentals, the air rifle is the ultimate system to do that. So I'm going to be having podcasts and discussions and data unfolding about the use and benefits of air rifles for those specific components and also discuss how they might not help with other components, right? Which makes sense. If you're going to shoot a 338, air rifle may help with some of that and it might not help with other parts. But I think that Utah air rifles is leading the charge. And so I have ordered an air rifle to have in our classes for craft studies, for measurements and for data. And I want to encourage you guys to look into their systems and reach out to Utah air guns, follow them on Instagram and follow us. It will not only be on this podcast, but also on snipers hide. There's a new air gun section, an entire section devoted to air rifles and what people are doing and unfolding so that we can kind of hive mind and source data and then send you back to a shop that can put together a system for you that performs at the level that you needed to perform at period. So until I have more to say, uh, go check them out and hit up sniper's hide, check out the thread and stay tuned for episodes 
revolving around or including data from the rifles that the guys at Utah Air Guns put together for us.